This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. In this episode of our Economic Development is More Important Than Ever podcasts, I'm speaking with Chance Sizemore, CEO, and Kayla Bryant, the Marketing Manager, both with the Lawrence County Economic Growth Council. So Chance and Kayla, thanks for joining me today. And thanks, Lee, for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. So early in this process, I think, you know, so much about the COVID-19 crisis caught us by surprise. But it seemed to me that early in the process, uh, the Lawrence County Economic Growth Council uh, made a decision to adopt a very active stance. uh, And and you seem to be responding uh, very quickly early on in this process. So uh, before we start talking about the actual things that you've done, how did you come to the conclusion or how did you realize that you needed to mobilize as quickly as you did? Thanks. I think for, uh, or at least on my side, we were already seeing signs there was an issue in the marketplace, especially our traded sectors in Lawrence County are dependent, you know, everybody's dependent on global economy now. Um, And so when we started hearing from our automotive sector, um, our manufacturing sectors, folks who are reliant on steel from China, for example, uh, they started seeing issues. Uh, We also started hearing from other members um, of the organization that, you know, they were seeing disruptions in the supply chain. Um, customer orders may have started to slow down. Uh, and so there was a little bit of sequencing that was happening um, prior to um, the, the actual shutdown. And so we kind of, I think we had a little bit of an understanding that something was happening. We saw the rumors. Um, and so we knew that um, once things started happening, we, had, we actually had to shut down, that we had to do something because this was, this wasn't just going to be impacting our, you know, restaurants. And then it wasn't just going to be um, the retail segment, um, but really across the entire economy. Absolutely. Yeah. We, like Shane said, we understood that the need for assistance was going to be widespread. It wasn't just, you know, confined to one sector. So we want to jump on it quickly um, and just as effectively as possible to help everybody because it was just going to be, um, yeah, so impactful to everybody in the community. So, uh, and, and I think I got these right, but I think you identified sort of three basic sort of themes or, or kinds of activities that you were going to focus on, uh, communication, uh, business education, and resource development, uh, I think were the broad category. So why were those the areas that you decided to focus on? Yeah, I mean, communication, uh, there was just so much information available. We all know that. We all saw it come out. It was a flood of information and resources and we knew that we needed to have one place for everyone to go. People were calling, you know, incessantly saying, we're just not sure what information is out there because there's so much to sift through. So we wanted to communicate just as much as we could um, just to help out because there were so many resources and so much information coming at them at one time. Um, yeah, that, and that was, that was where communication was. And then education, um, Shans can take you really. He was the educator of businesses. He was getting phone calls every day multiple times a day of businesses just needing educated on what was happening and what they needed to be doing. Yeah, I think, you know, really those three segments or these three segments, uh, when you start talking about business resources, business education and communication, they're critical to our mission. 
Um, they are our mission uh, as an organization. And so we decided, you know, we needed to stay in our, our knowledge set and our core areas, but amplify those. Uh, and so as you mentioned with communication, you know, while we stay engaged with our, our business community and we, we like to know what's happening, when legislation is literally changing every night uh, while you're sleeping, uh, they needed a, a source of information where we can we can get that out quickly, reliably, and without, um, unfortunately, uh, the large amount of political discourse that goes along with um, that information as well. So we we really started that as a primary focus. Um, the education resources stem from really the, the need that was community in the community, um, whether it was, you know a small little company who called me and said, Hey, you know, it's the first week they had cash flow issues. Um, and so suddenly before any of the programs came out, I was getting calls of companies who were already probably struggling a little bit and teetering on the edge, uh, but we're surviving and we're, we're okay. Now needed a lot of help and a lot of assistance. Um, we've identified, I mentioned cash flow. We identified issues, uh, in business structure early on. Um, so s- small mom and pop companies who are just operating the same way they've always had. Um, but when it comes time to apply for PPP or disaster loans, um, it really highlighted the deficiencies they had uh, in just their basic business structure. So, the, so, uh, so then talk a little bit about uh, I think I saw, I mean, just I probably more so than than many of your peers around the state. You know, I see a lot of of email traffic from from economic development organizations around the state on a regular basis. But I think what I saw in terms of communication coming out of Lawrence County and the Lawrence County Economic Growth Council, it seems to me that you were uh, head and shoulders above everybody else. So talk about your communication strategy and what kinds of uh, things were you communicating and, and why? Yeah, so we, we absolutely increased our email communication to stakeholders uh, to daily. So we were sending out a daily email with just those resources that they needed to be aware of, whether it was training opportunities for employees to help them you know, maintain normalcy and, and get back on track or PPP information, uh, economic disaster loan information, even PPE information. We were just trying to provide them with as much tools and resources as they needed every day as it came out and as it changed. So we were just trying to stay up on top of all those changes constantly um, with a daily source of information. And we did see a lot of people appreciate that. Um, And then we also created a page on our website as just a resource hub that linked relevant articles of information and all of those you know, resources that people were looking for in one place to make it a lot easier. And it was segmented. Um, Hopefully that was easy to read and digest because like I said, it was just so much at one time, uh, folks were having a hard time knowing where to go and and how to do things. So that's kind of the, you know, the avenue we took for communication. We also stayed extremely active on social, just tried to be relevant and timely with everything that was coming out. Chance mentioned the legislation. We did try to um, give that, you know, a, a good source of just what was going on 
in terms of um, first care, the care act, you know, for people that need help with childcare and just their families and medical and, and all of that stuff. It's so much more broad, I think, than our daily uh, roles as economic developers sometimes. And so we just tried to do as much as we could in all aspects. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, we're fortunate we had a, a fairly robust list of, of local businesses and people in the space. Uh, we saw a share across the state. Uh, I know one of our local uh, U.S. representatives um, mentioned that they were sharing it across their network, uh, which is awesome. Not only because the information is relevant to businesses across the entire state and the entire platform. We were sending out, as she said, one a day to thousands of people. Um, I think our combined email list of the, the stakeholder groups was uh, a little above 2,000 people. Uh, we're getting them every day. Over the course of the, I don't even know the time frame, 30, 40, 40 45 days yeah. of daily emails, um, there were 30 plus thousand emails sent out um, and going around the state, which uh, we tried with that, we tried not to keep it relevant and not spam everybody. Um, I, you know, I realized that everybody was getting spam and everything was titled COVID 19 and you're, you need you these resources, and this is super important. Um, so that's we we spent. I can't. Even, I don't even know how many nights we were using Slack to send articles back and forth, saying, "Is this relevant? Do you, do you think that people will take this to you know take this to heart, or does this make sense for our community?" And so we were trying to be that filter um, for a lot of that information, so that what we did send out was hyper relevant and not repetitive. And from a trusted, you know, unbiased source. Yeah. We really were just trying to get them the facts and the information that they needed to, you know, get through this time. So, so I think of the three things that we had identified that were uh, target areas. I'm not sure I heard you talk as much about the resource development piece. Uh, so what was that? Yeah. Uh, so th there was a few things. One, we knew that, um, programs were coming down from the state. So whether that be the community development block grants, um, you know, other resources, PPP. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that our community uh, was able to tap into those. Uh, so, you know, partnering with, you know, while they were the main applicant, you know, the city of Mitchell received CDBG funds, Lawrence County received CDBG funds. Uh, and so making sure that everybody was aware that, hey, those opportunities were available. Um, that the right people knew about them so they could write the grant for them or submit the application uh, because it's, you know, one of, the, one of the pieces that I had to work with was just we had to identify who was the right person to do the legwork. Was it my organization? Was it our partners at uh, SIDC, so the Southern Indiana Development Corporation? Um, so who are, the, who are the players that need to be at the table? Um, we had to make sure that all of our communities were having conversations with each, with each other to make sure that um, not only the businesses knew what were happening, but that a small community didn't get left out. So, you know, we have multiple incorporated communities uh, inside our county. And, you know, we were one of the few places, if I think maybe the only place where businesses, government, and um, just the general public could have a conversation um, about what was happening and what things and resources were needed um, on the ground level. Um, one of the things that we found um, it actually started through a conversation um, in one of our board meetings uh, via Zoom, like everything else. 
But a couple of my our businesses said, you know what? I'm a little afraid to go out and order masks right now. I've been waiting on it because I know there's a shortage. The hospitals are needing them. We have people volunteering to make them, but I don't know what I need. And then now we're hearing there's no mask available or the prices are es you know, escalated. Uh, and so what we did, uh, we actually partnered with a few local businesses and a business leader. Um, we just pre-purchased um, and bought in bulk uh, a lot of masks. Um, we are now approaching, oh, I just got another order for I think 14,000. 14, yeah, so so we're, we're approaching 20,000 masks um, that we've helped um, distribute and sell back to the community. Um, and hand sanitizer too. Yep, so yeah, yeah, we're, gallons of that being distributed to the community as well. So. Now let's be honest. You know, if when 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 we all started uh, twenty twenty, would we have thought that part of part of your uh, role as economic development professionals would be ordering hand you know uh, gallons of hand sanitizer and and tens of thousands of of uh, masks? Just you know how much. How, how, how much has your role of economic developers changed just in the last two or three months? Because you referenced, even when you were talking to some of your businesses, um, of how diverse some of their questions were that really seemed to go beyond what we would normally think of as being just business questions. So how much has your role really changed in the last you know, two or three months? You know, a good way to start thinking about this is, the goals and plans that we had for 2020 are kind of, you know, they got to go to the wayside because we really just had to act fast and act now on what was in front of us. So, you know, we all had plans for maybe BRNE or attraction or whatever that was for the year. And they might look a little different now and they definitely look a little different now. So uh, we've talked about what the communications are going to look like going forward. As far as COVID goes, we've talked about how resiliency is going to be really important to discuss with our members and just the business community, how to, be ready for this if there's a second wave or if there's a, the next COVID, because there will be, and we know that. Um, so just understanding how to diversify your product line or your offerings. We've seen all of our boutiques in town do really well with live shows and shipping that they've never done before. And one even developed a website through COVID that had never you know, had a website before. And just seeing how their business models can change, um, I think it's gonna be a new role that we play in educating our businesses and members on how to you know, make the switch, I guess. And, and from my perspective, I'm, I'm a little unique compared to some others, as Lee knows. Um, I, I run two organizations. Um, I have both the Chamber and the Economic Development Act. Uh, there's a few of us out there who have kind of that dual role. Um, and so from my perspective, there's some of it is we have to act as our community needs us. Um, and so when our businesses stand up and say, Hey, I need masks, um, and I don't know because I've never, I've never had to order them before. We don't have a relationship with Fastenal, or you know, the, this is a whole new area and a new territory. I probably have 50, 60 emails with my local um, hospitals who we were just chatting about. Who do you get your masks from? Where, where, what's those sources? Who's providing what, and which one's reputable enough that we can go to them um, and ask these questions? And so it really became, um, I think, a highlight of where our role um, is in the community. And I, I think some of the stuff that we learned through this process 
will absolutely become integrated in our daily operations. Well, so expand on that a little bit because that's something that I've been, uh, as as you may know, we've been uh, part of and helping to lead a coalition that includes the Tourism Association, the Chamber Executives Association, OCRA, uh, AIM, the Association of Counties, and part of that, and, and the Community Foundation, the, the, which is the Philanthropy Alliance, and part of that has been sort of our growing recognition, especially as we continue to work through this, that we can no longer silo sort of how we do things as different organizations, that economic development has suddenly become a much more diverse activity um, and so, so expand a little bit then on how you've begun working with some of those other groups, how your perspective of where you fit in the community and how the community sees you, your role, you know, as a part of the community, how it's changed in all of this. Because again, I think we always used to think of economic development as this one little sort of box on the map. And even with the chamber, and I think I think our our whole definition has had to evolve a lot in terms of what your role is in the community. And, and so, I guess from my perspective, we've seen the first thing I saw was the community was reaching out for assistance to us, um, and I I hope and I pray that uh, they found me useful uh, in that process. Uh, people that I have never had a conversation with outside of passing by businesses that I, we typically don't think of as instrumental to the economic development process, whether that be, you know, the people who are in the vending machine operations at the schools and the hospitals and the, um, to tourism related, related issues. And you mentioned, you know, a whole host of different organizations that have different roles really in every community. Um, I think about the work, you know, even that we've done in the past couple of years, and we really have to think regionally, and then apply our those not that knowledge locally. And so we had to be on the ground and say, okay, we have very limited resources, we have limited funds, uh, we're a small rural community. The needs of even inside of my county are much different. Um, Bedford needs different things than Mitchell does, and so. I've seen a shift in the past just past few years to really have the, letting the business community take the lead on some of those things where we help envision and vision are where our community is going um, and then allow us to apply um, that knowledge to help move along those businesses in that community as well. So um, for example, education um, has become a, a major priority with um, inside the economic development overall, um, and we, we saw that push and we were working that direction, but where we were at as a community, um, we had to bring in our, our big businesses. We had to bring in our small businesses, our philanthropy. We had to partner with community foundation. And so I, that was a very long winded uh, way of saying as a community, we have to bring all the players to the table uh, and say, well, what is your capacity? What is it that you need to accomplish? And then how do we work alongside you to accomplish that goal? Yeah, and I was pleased to see everyone thought of us in this time, right? So during COVID, people were calling to ask us for not only opinions, but partnership, collaboration. So um, you know, really a catalyst for 
this you know team teamwork effort because it really had to be that for, during this time. And I think that will continue. And I think as more as, as we look forward to what the landscape looks like in 2020 and beyond, right? If remote work becomes as big as they say, which I think you know, hearing Richard Canada speak, and we believe that we believe that it's going to be as big as we all think, and how that's going to look for us, and how we're going to help with talent, maybe attraction versus. Um, getting someone a, a larger building. We had, a, you know, maybe a couple companies that were looking to grow in 2020, looking to get a new site, and that might look way different. They might take advantage of this remote work opportunity, and now we're helping in a different capacity. Um, and I think partnering with those those groups that you mentioned um, will continue and just look a little different. And so whether that means, you know, people are going to start fleeing to the rural communities from big cities after this, we heard that, you know, hypothesis as well. We can be there to help with all of the, di the different groups to make sure we have the resources available for those people, to make sure we have the land, to make sure we have the types of housing they're looking for. Um, I think our role is just going to continue to evolve as we see the needs pop up. So I worry a little bit, um, you know, when I think about uh, downtown Bedford, um, but, I, but I think about that as a relatively intact downtown. And even if I think about Mitchell, um, I think it's relatively, as I recall, relatively intact. I worry about uh, all of the progress that communities like those in your county have made uh, to bring the downtowns back. Um, you know, if this is going to be a real setback for some of those small local businesses, restaurants, uh, you know, how does that, because you've got the chamber function, uh, how does that sort of fit in sort of your plans going forward and sort of looking at how do we regrow our downtown? If there's any silver, one of the few silver linings uh, that happened during this whole process was people's willingness to shop local and, and to express that um, and to support those companies. I mean, we, we saw people literally buying hundreds of dollars worth of gift cards just to give out to people um, the, on the, with my chamber hat. Um, we supported that effort and said, you know what, if you show us that you are shopping and eating out, at, um, whether that be takeout or delivery at one of our local restaurants, we'll put you in a drawing for a hundred dollars. And so we saw those initiatives really take off. There was a Facebook group that was called love locally had thousands of members who were just doing nice things by going out, buying a local gift card or, meals and then handing them out to people. You delivered my food. Here's a gift card to courtroom. What I hope is that doesn't stop because that, that sustained a few of these businesses and allowed, you know, fortunately to my knowledge, everybody's open um, and everybody's operating. Now I'm sure they they still have their issues and they're, they're probably still dealing with cash needs um, and sales and all that other stuff. But during this time, nobody in those in kind of in those two corridors said, you know, we're going to keep the lights out and we're not going to reopen because of these, it was too much. Um, and we saw some diversify. So some just step out and start doing things they haven't done before. Um, some had to suspend specials. But I think, like Chance said, I mean, it was heartwarming to see the rally around our downtowns. It was it was impactful. And they know and I think they feel the results of that and they still are. And it's staying vibrant even after we're starting to reopen. Um, and I think one thing too, just being sure we're uh, communi communicating with Okra and really knowing what funds are available out there for those, you know, Main Street downtown grants and everything that they do because um, they have such good support for the downtowns. Um, so we'll definitely want to keep that on the radar as much as we can. 
And Chance, you talked about uh, the importance of education, but I know that uh, one of the big focus areas that you had prior to all of this uh, was on workforce development. And uh, workforce development is obviously coming out of this because we're in such a different world just in the course of 45, 90 days, where we started with a 2% unemployment rate. We now have at least a double digit and will for the foreseeable future. So, so I guess to your credit, you already had a very robust workforce development activity, but how do you see what you were doing before sort of evolving to meet the changing needs on, on the back end of this? The first thing is we will see how committed my community is to making it happen. Uh, it's something we changed my mission to incorporate it in there um, a little over a year ago now. Uh, one of the things that we preached from the first day of this entire process was this can't be something we do now because it's hard for you. Um, and when, when times get easier and you can find your employees a little easier, we stop because we're going to hit right back into that cycle. We're going to be restarting all these programs over again, and we're going to be doing the same. We're going to be rinsing and recycling and repeating until I'm 90 years old and hopefully retired. Um, so that, I think that's the first thing is we're going to say we're, we're going to stay committed. Um, I think what we're going to see is um, when we're already shifting that direction, probably a focus more on what I would call the upper end of the spectrum of education. So over the last couple of years, we really started with justice-involved individuals, people without high school equivalency, getting, getting that core and that base built up so that people are ready for the next step. So if, you do, if they don't have their high school equivalency, secondary and post-secondary or post-secondary education is not even on the table. So once we get that group, our next step is, okay, we'll start, let's think about credentialing. Let's partner with, um, we have, we're fortunate we have Union Training Center uh, for the laborers union here. Talking to Jeremy Brewer, the guy who runs it, we need people and they come out with great wages. Well, if that gets people the credentials and skill sets necessary to get a, a well-paying job and a meaningful career, let's get people in it. So I think from the next, the next step for us and where we're, we're working to now is how do we get the people who went to college, came back and didn't finish back in. We know there's programs out there, but most people in the community don't know that they exist. Um, how do we get the person who has a four year degree to get their master's? How do we get that person with a master's to get a PhD? Um, and really think about that continuum of education and, and the realization um, where if we want to be a community that really cares about education, we have to, we have to be committed through the entire lifespan. Um, one of the things we, we still talk about every day is K through 12, you know, what's going on at the career center? What's going, you know, we know from the work of some of the economists and economic development, that the communities who are doing best at attracting people are the ones with the best educational systems K through 12. Well, what does it take for my community to get there? That's, it's going to take just more than, you know, my principals and our, our superintendent saying we're now going to be a great school or a flashy marketing campaign. It's going to take every single person in the community, the businesses in the community to put their money uh, and their time um, into that effort uh, to eventually get us to a point where, uh, where we want to be. 
Yeah. And on that thread, we are in the middle of a complete rebrand of the Career Center because of the work that has been done with the businesses, putting the money, you know, into the school and building those partnerships. Because of that work that's been done, we're now able to market something great. We're not trying to make it flashy before the work has been done. So now, you know, those years and years of the work in the workforce development arena and the partnerships and the money that's flowed into the Career Center can can say something now. And so we're, we're in the middle of that rebrand at the moment and we're excited to see what that looks like and what that could attract to the area. Do, do you think your workforce is going to look different on the backside of this? And, I, and, and I'll preface this by saying, I mean, I think we're hearing or we have a sense uh, that we're going to see uh, the workforce sort of quickly sort of pushed to two sort of extremes. There's going to be those folks that have, you know, marketable skills and they're going to be pulled back into the workforce, uh, maybe not immediately, but but more quickly. And uh, as a result of this b- business, we'll look at folks who have lower skills and uh, do more automating and, and not bring those people back. And so you're going to have some folks that will be absorbed fairly quickly and others who will be considered maybe almost hardcore unemployed. How does that change your, your sense of of your your workforce development priorities well it's it's good timing actually for that kind of you know dichotomy of workforce because we are in the middle of launching an introduction to local skills and jobs training here in the county um, through the workforce development and workforce coalition we have so that's exactly what they're trying to do we're trying to take those people that have have jobs um some maybe some don't but maybe some do but they they just need the 40 hours of intense training um you know in welding and you know a bunch of different areas, construction, trades, and they're going to get a certificate at the end and then hopefully a job. So we are in the middle of that. The first uh, course of that launches July 6th at the Career Center. So again, another partnership with our local school system. And um, we're excited to see where that goes. Yeah. I think there's a, you know, we were seeing some of that trend to happen before as well. Um, I think this is potentially, it could potentially exaggerate um, these issues. You know, talking to some of our companies, their plans are really mixed right now. Um, I have companies, um, I'll use an example from before. Um, I had one company, two different companies in our community who do exactly the same production. One was telling me at the table, we are not capable of automating. Um, It has to be done by hand. And this is why the other one told me, Chance, we just brought in you know, three new robotic welders uh, to retrain our, our, our traditional welding guys in that machine. It absolutely can be automated. We're investing in that scenario right now. And so what I, my first immediate thought was these two people need to have a conversation at least. I realize they're competitors, but one's going to completely die um, and not keep up with the marketplace. At this point for us in the workforce development, it's not so much, okay, we want to leave you behind and you are not capable of getting these new skill sets. It's what skill sets do you have? How do we identify what you're capable of doing? And then what areas do you have the aptitude to move into? Um, and, and providing those resources to get them there. Um, that's not going to be easy. I, I don't know if there's a community who has solved that. As, you know, I think what we're saying is, we're at least going to give it our best effort and we're going to try uh, to, to bridge that gap. 
you know, historically, if you look at economic um, principles and economic development history, um, what you see is it typically takes a generation or so to, to start gaining the, the traction and you, you lose people along the way. Um, but I hope um, that our community is um, willing to put the effort into at least saving some of those people um, really hard economic um, outcomes um, in that process. Yeah, and I think that the drumbeat of our workforce development efforts has just been trying to create a sustainable system that's going to flex with the needs of our businesses. And the thing is, we have to be in tune to those needs of the businesses, though, to know how we can flex. And I think we've done a really good job of building those partnerships to know exactly what they're needing at different times and then offering solutions to those needs. So you've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, at least some of the changes you've had to make in terms of your activities because of COVID-19. How much of that change do you think is going to be with you sort of as a part of your daily work going forward? In other words, you know, how much of your, your chamber and economic development work will be permanently changed because of this? And what will some of those changes look like? I mean, what will you be doing differently uh, going forward because of all of this? One thing that, that I think will continue for us in the marketing side is we, we recorded the first virtual tour of a property on video and I edited my first video and sent that off you know, to a selector and um, that, that was great. It allowed them to really get a full view of the property without having to make a drive or a, or a flight. So we will see that. We're, I, I definitely believe that that's going to be on the horizon for, for the future. And I guess I better get really good at video editing. Um, but that's okay. That's fun and exciting and it's new. Um, and so we'll see that diversification of technology and how we communicate clearly uh, with Zoom calls as much as we've been um, you know, overwhelmed by them. I think they will stick around. It'll allow us to communicate face-to-face with people that we wouldn't have got the chance to do so before. So from my perspective in marketing, that's all of this technolo- like technology that's being brought in is going to stay. I, I would agree that some, most of the technology um, will be absorbed. While I think there's, there's a time and place for face-to-face and handshakes um, or fist bumps or whatever we end up going back to, that some of, especially for those who've are, we've already made that you know initial contact, we know them, or we don't we don't need to travel four hours to have a thirty minute conversation. We we can jump on Zoom, both have our cups of coffee, and get our work done, and get back to the rest of our day. I think with that, now that we know, hey, every everybody has access to Zoom, right? <laughs> or go meet some somebody they have they have the resource. It's not as scary anymore. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to you don't have to do that thought process. The the thought of, oh, I wonder if they, they use this technology. No, they have it. It's just are we gonna do it this way? Are we gonna pick up the phone? Are we gonna drive and have that conversation? And so I think you'll see that trend towards that one. Um, she mentioned the the recording. Um, hopefully it's not as awkward next time with me walking around with the phone and a gimbal. Uh, through 15 acres of field, uh, talking about the, where the ditch is and um, how the land lies. But that was what was necessary. The guy is in you know, four states away, says, hey, I want to I make this transaction. We are in the middle of a shutdown and uh, you know, flights are being canceled. Well, my only, op- my only option was, let's do this thing digitally, virtually. Um, so... I agree with that. Um, you know, 
I also think just even BRE um, locally, Zoom, Zoom makes a life easier for some of those BRE conversations. There's times I want to go out and, and pop in and say hi or see the new piece of equipment. But, you know, if I've already been through your plant six times, I don't need to see a seventh. You know, I, I can have, we can have those conversations and trust that um, we're going to make, the, we're going to make this happen without um, me walking through and seeing the same piece of machinery over and over. And you can speak on this more, but also in, in our area, in our region, the DOD space is, is huge. And we see, you know, Crane Naval Base is right next door. So we see that landscape changing. We know a lot of them are working remotely, which before this was was not a thing. They could not do that, right, because of the security. So uh, like I said, you can speak a lot more, but I just think we're going to have different interactions with them as we move forward. Yeah, so I, I think Kayla touched on it earlier, um, but a few of the companies that are expanding or who had intentions of expanding, I know for a fact are now considering, can I get my employees through remote work and still maintain my environment the way I want to? I can reduce my overhead cost of um, not having to build out a brand new building. Um, I don't have to have as much office space. Um, you know, we don't, some of the areas, are, obviously we don't have as much office demand as say Indianapolis or a major metro uh, or a minor metro. But even here, we're now thinking about things like, she mentioned DOD. Well, I remember having conversations about co-working in the DOD space, um, just, well, not even, it would be in January. We were like, hey, what would it take for you guys to have a spot and a potential co-working space? And their thought was, uh, some of them said, no, there's no way you'll ever get anybody in there. Others said, you know what, we can do it, but we'd have to adopt some principles and policies. Uh, and now I think they're like, oh, we have the technology now. Everybody can work from home as long as you don't have to be working in a collaborative environment and doing R&D or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, now it's going to be, where do those people choose to live? And how do, how do I, um, when I say I, I mean we as a community create an environment where those folks can work comfortably, safely, and um, effectively um, if they're not sitting on base, um, you know, there's only so many people who can crowd into the local coffee shop or Starbucks. Um, and when you start talking about DOD space, Starbucks may not be the, the favorite place for 30 people um, who are working on, you know, somewhat secret level uh, information. Right. And that kind of plays into what you were talking about earlier. You know, you guys are partnering with tourism and how our roles change and how we now have our hands in everything in economic development, but making, you know, Lawrence County a place where people want to live because if this is the landscape and it is starting to starting to be a question of, well, are they going to hire people from all across the country instead of those that are here in our community? I mean, Crane is a huge employer for us. We don't want to lose that. And so what's going to keep people here um, if they can work from home and they decide they want to move to Florida, right? Why, what makes our community the place to be, the place to live um, if they don't have to anymore have those constraints and then those people that want to come here as well. So that's a new aspect that we're talking about every day that hasn't been the case in the past. Well, I appreciate I've, you guys have been very generous with your time and I appreciate that. Uh, is there anything that I haven't asked you about uh, uh, that I haven't given you an opportunity to cover that you've been involved in that you want to get in before we close today? Uh, I, I think we've already inject, injected uh, our other points uh, throughout. So, uh, 
um, leave it to us. So just go ahead and steer you into the way we wanted it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, uh, this has always been, for me, it's certainly very informative uh, to get to spend this time uh, with, with our members and you two in particular. You know, I've seen so much of your communications uh, and it's been very impressive just how responsive uh, you have been to your community. And so congratulations for that and congratulations just for, again, how in a positive way, how aggressive you've been in dealing with this head on. So uh, again, congratulations for just um, the initiative that you've shown through all of this. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's no secret in this office that it's been my dream to have a podcast and you were my first podcast I was a guest on. So I feel very honored and hopefully this can start my career as a podcaster. So all right. Well, you know, that's that's my role in life is making people's dreams come true. So, so uh, thanks for letting me do that. Uh, today, I've been talking with Shant Sizemore, the CEO, uh, and uh, Kayla Bryant, the marketing manager, with uh, both of them with the Lawrence County Economic Growth Council. Shantz and Kayla, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. This has been IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. All content in this podcast is copyright 2020 by the Indiana Economic Development Association, and all rights are reserved.